And he is showing me the beauty in his word of how he structured his word. Oh, wow. And that to me is incredible because I realize and I recognize that that's something that takes a, a little bit of, of study or, or some slow reading to get to. But once you get there and you see that he has built in layers, mm. it's beautiful. I keep on noticing that, you know, when you, I, I keep on saying to myself, he writes it between. You know, the story is between right. the lines. Right. And it just unfolds with his spirit and it's it's remarkable. When you think about the profound influence of the Bible on the world, the way that it has shaped our culture, whether you're a follower of Christ or not, it's probably a good idea that you know at least what it says. It's gonna be about us taking and reading the Bible. Welcome to the Take and Read podcast. Here we are, episode thirty. That's big. A lot. That's a big mile marker. That I feel like. A... I feel like the the podcast. If each episode is a year, it's starting to come into its thirties. It's right. It's starting it's to mature a little. A lot bit. of things happen in your thirties. Yeah, you start changing. So I have Casey Noble. Hi, I'm so my glad to be here. Sister in Christ mm-hmm. and just dear friend. Uh, our families get to do a little bit of life together. Yep, and uh, we enjoy that. And we also together have a passion for the word yeah and you get to lead our church family in the area of women's ministries and small groups that's right and get to not only equip women with the tools to get into the word on their own but you get to shepherd some and disciple some ladies it's pretty awesome give opportunity for them to teach and help others get into the word so It's, it's amazing to watch people step into god's word like with weak deer legs oh yeah and then just blossom into what's the next deer analogy i can make but blossom right into that i love yeah. it to see them yeah be a little bit shaky a little bit uh nervous mm-hmm. and uh I, i'm sure there are folks that tune in to this podcast that that maybe feel the sense of well I, it's great that pastor chad and his guests they get into the word but that's not something i can do but the whole goal of this is that man, you guys are reading along with us, that people are joining us, and they realize they can do it for themselves. Mm-hmm. They don't. They just can. They're built to. Yeah, that we're wired mm-hmm. uh, by God to engage with him through his word. Yep. For sure. It's amazing. All righty. So um, last time you were on the podcast, you were on with Michelle, mm-hmm. and we got to hear a little bit about your historical approach and kind of how has the Bible played a role in your life throughout your history mm-hmm. and your early approaches to it. And so with returning guests, which you're now, this is your first time back, or welcome back. It's exciting. Uh, one of the things I'd love to know is, how is the Lord speaking to you currently oh, in your time in the Word? So is there a specific thing that He's telling you in this season mm. as you spend time with Him? So um, I, I, I didn't love this until God showed me His Word. But I enjoy structure. I enjoy how one, especially uh, in ancient literature, can write a certain way and unfold a whole new story hmm. without just the words. And so that's appreciating the structure of something, right. which is important. But I've loved recently, so um, as you know, and as a church, we're walking through Amos. So I've been studying a lot in First and Second Kings and in Amos, which is in the Old Testament. And he is showing me the beauty in his word 
of how he structured his word. Oh, wow. And that to me is incredible because I realize and I recognize that that's something that takes a, a little bit of, of study or, or some slow reading to get to. But once you get there and you see that he has built in layers, mm. it's beautiful. I keep on noticing that, you know, when you, I, I keep on saying to myself, he writes it between, you know, mm. the story is between right. the lines. Right. And it just unfolds with his spirit and it's, it's remarkable. So uh, give, give me an example of a way that, because we, we most of the time focus on the content. Mm hmm. And it's certainly something we we do here. Sometimes we'll see some structural things, but how specifically has structure impacted mm. you? Yeah. Well, can I give you an example from yes. Amos? Okay. Yeah. So um, if we go to Amos, uh, inside Amos, the very very beginning of it, they they're talking about the six. So Amos was a was a sheep guy, just a sheep farmer, and God calls him to be a prophet. Which wasn't the normal case, right? These guys were usually trained in some way or, mm. or received some kind of schooling, if you will. And so Amos gets called, and he walks into this essentially he preaching into a feast, and he's at a festival, a dinner party, if you will, mm -hmm. an important dinner party. And he stands up and he goes, "The Lord has told me this," and he goes through six of his of the countries are the enemies the people who are against israel he goes through these six around him and he says yeah this one's going to get judgment and israel's like oh you know you can just almost hear it although mm. it's not in there it's between the lines but you know with each one israel was like yes amen preach it you right, know getting excited because their enemies are going to face judgment they're going to face judgment and, he's and going destruction around and saying these six here and he's in the structure of it he goes he starts off and he says this is who's saying this the lord and the reason why he's saying this is because of grave sin, same structure, every mm -hmm. single one of the six pronouncements. And then each time he gives some specific sins or sin that that country committed, mm. right? And you read through that and you're like, this is a lot of repetition. Mm -hmm. He goes through six and they would have been going, yes, those people should be destructed. They're gone. Yes, yes, yes. And then he gets to the seventh. Well, in ancient literature, seven would have symbolized completeness, mm -hmm. climax, fullness, gets to the seventh, and it's their brother, Judah, that has strayed from the family, mm -hmm. if you will, and the kingdom split, and it's their brother. And so when it gets to that seventh, they would have been like, oh, yeah, yeah we knew they shouldn't have left, right? Mm -hmm. And that would, should have been done. Seven is completeness. It's right. done. What they would have been is like, yes, that was wonderful, Amos. Preach it. We love you. Like we've all been with our preachers, right? Yeah. Yes. Until yeah, they yeah. poke on our button, right? <laughs> and then Israel is eight. And the, the significance of Israel being eight is two things. One, Israel's eight meaning it's more than you expected. The sin is more grievous because you are my called people. It's, it's one more than was expected in seven. Mm. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. And not only was it one more that they would have expected from a, from a literary rhetorical, because Amos would have been speaking rhetorical way, but it's also that they were the people of God. And for mm -hmm. them to sin that way in the same way that all those other six nations did was grievous, but even more grievous than, wow. you know? And yeah. so, so it's not just the content, but the form. Yes. God is this, this word in front of us, as you said, has layers. Layers. And okay. there's not just what is said, but how it's said. Mm -hmm. And I want to encourage, too, like someone who says, yeah, I don't get that when I read. Mm-hmm. 
the more, as with any investment, the more time we spend in it, the more God opens those layers. Amen. And He brings them. Mm-hmm. No question. He brings them. So the more time we invest, it just opens yeah, up. Yeah, it opens up. Okay. That's awesome. Are we, are we done? No, we're, oh, we're just kidding. But man, Amos. Amos we don't get into Mm-mm. Old Testament a whole lot here. But Amos, Old Testament, minor prophet, not minor in um, in that it's less important, mm-hmm. but just shorter in in its prophecy, but still extremely. It's rich. Uh, yeah, it is rich. Yeah, it's rich. Uh, okay, so where are we going today? We're going to be in Mark. I know where Mark we're is. We're continuing in Mark, and episode thirty brings us to the beginning of chapter seven, and. Uh, in previous episodes, we've seen now uh, as Jesus is preaching and teaching, he's going out. Uh, authority continues to be kind of a brushstroke. We see a theme of authority play out mm. uh, when Jesus begins to preach the gospel in Mark chapter 1, verse 14. It kind of describes that he went around preaching the gospel, telling people that the kingdom of God is at hand repent and believe. And so the content of Jesus' preaching is about the kingdom. And authority, mm. and now we we see constantly this contrast between the authority in God's kingdom and and Christ like authority versus human authority. Uh, that was on display when we saw an interaction. Um, Jesus sends out the twelve two by two and sends them with authority to preach and teach, and they're casting out demons, they're healing people, and then um, right before they come back, there's this episode where it shows that King Herod is hearing rumors about this Jesus of Nazareth, Mm -hmm. wondering if it's in fact John the Baptist raised from the dead, who he killed. And so then you get this little snippet, and that's in uh, chapter six, but you get this snippet of how John the Baptist was actually killed by Herod. And basically it's the result of failed and toxic human authority that would lead to something like that, a righteous Mm -hmm. man who he himself, King Herod declared, this this is a, a holy man, he's righteous. And yet, because of his own selfish pride and other things, he ends up beheading uh, Hmm. John the Baptist. And so there's this constant display of God's way and then our human corrupt way and that his way is better and it's a better kingdom, he's a better king and it's a better way. And so we now turn our attention, he's he's, uh, performed the feeding of the 5,000 by now, he's walked on water in front of the uh, disciples and he's continuing to heal. And so now uh, we we see him enter kind of a new area uh, where he's going to start to challenge some things. So we'll be in chapter Mark chapter 7, okay. verses 1 through 23, which is a decent chunk. Good. Um, I'm so glad you're but going. We're, we're going to do the whole chunk because yeah. I think it's one one good pericope, which is a word that I like to use. I like that word too. Sometimes people make fun of me. Because it's not a word we use a lot. Mm-hmm, right. People are like, what did you say? Paracope. Yeah, paracope. <laughs> That's what you say That's when what... you're from Oklahoma. Paracope. <laughs> uh, I'm from Oklahoma, so I can say that. You can say that, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, so we'll be looking at this uh, section or pericope of Scripture. Starting Mark chapter 7, verse 1. Now the Pharisees and some of the experts in the law who came from Jerusalem gathered around him, Jesus, And they saw that some of Jesus' disciples ate their bread with unclean hands, that is, unwashed. For the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they perform a ritual washing, 
holding fast to the tradition of the elders. And when they had come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. They hold fast to many other traditions, washing of cups, pots, kettles, and dining couches. The Pharisees and the experts in the law asked him, Why do your disciples not live according to the tradition of the elders, but eat with unwashed hands? And he said to them, Isaiah prophesied correctly about you hypocrites, as it is written, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. They worship me in vain, teaching as doctrine the commands of men. Having no regard for the command of God, you hold fast to human tradition. He also said to them, You neatly reject the commandment of God in order to set up your tradition. For Moses said, Honor your father and mother, and whoever insults his father or mother must be put to death. But you say that if anyone tells his father or mother whatever help you would have received from me is Corban, that is, a gift for God, then you no longer permit him to do anything for his father or mother. Thus you nullify the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down, and you do many things like this. Then he called the crowd again and said to them, Listen to me, everyone, and understand, there is nothing outside of a person that can defile him by going into him. Rather, it is what comes out of a person that defiles him. Now when Jesus had left the crowd and entered the house, his disciples asked him about the parable. He said to them, Are you so foolish? Don't you understand that whatever goes into a person from outside cannot defile him? For it does not, for it does not enter his heart, but his stomach, and then goes out into the sewer. This means all foods are clean. He said, What comes out of a person defiles him? For from within, out of the human heart, come evil ideas, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, evil, deceit, debauchery, envy, slander, pride, and folly. All these evils come from within and defile a person. Whew. Mm. There's a lot there. Jesus was good. Man. <laughs> and that's a wrap. The Jesus Jesus bombs. is good. Yeah. Okay, so the first thing we want to do is we want to wrestle with what does it say. Yeah. Uh, there are oftentimes when we encounter the scripture, we come with this Western mindset. And this is a very Eastern book. This is a... So there's some things in here, it kind of points that out. There's traditions, Mm -hmm. there's rituals, uh, there's things that they would have done. And it can, we do want to understand what those mean, but we don't want to get caught up in the minutia of those because that, when we step back, Jesus is making a bigger point, I think. Mm -hmm. So what are some things you think we probably need to clarify? I mean, we got to talk about the Corbin, right? Yeah, we got to talk about Corbin. I don't want to get to the middle, but that's a big one. That's Yeah, that's a word that, well, it's a person's name. That's how we would use it, right? Absolutely, but I Corbin. thought you were about to say that's what I was like. No, it's not Chad. <laughs> no. <okay>. So <laughs> yes, but yes, Corbin. it's a concept that we have to yes. we have to understand. What is he talking about there? Hand washing. Yeah, yeah. There's all this ritual washing that occurs, not just hands, but now we've got mm-hmm. cups, pots, kettles, dining couches. D- dining couches. Man, that's just something we don't use in the states very often. Mm-hmm. A dining couch. Uh, I think we should though. Maybe bring dining couches back. And how would you wash one of those? I don't know. Um, then he he references Isaiah the prophet, so mm-hmm. he references an Old Testament passage here, as he's talking to this group who would have very clearly understood that the pharisees would have understood plenty about isaiah and so they would have known that scripture uh 
so yeah, let's just dive into some of this stuff. And maybe even, what? Are, who are these Pharisees? Why do I keep hearing about Pharisees? Yeah. You know, I know yeah. we've, you've talked about it in past episodes. Right. So yeah, we can start there. It says, now the Pharisees and some of the experts in the law came from Jerusalem and gathered around him. So you have Pharisees and experts in the law coming from Jerusalem. That would have been the epicenter of Judaism. And so these would have been the kind of those in the most know, mm-hmm. right? The most authoritative in, in the realm of Jewish tradition and law. And they come, and so Pharisees would have been an authority, uh, religious authority in the Jewish world. And they come because they they have a, a bone to pick. Mm. They want to challenge Jesus because of his followers. His disciples are would have all been Jewish. And yet they're not maintaining some very kind of basic level traditions and ritual cleanings or or rules uh, to live by. That they would have been taught since they were Right. They would have grown up in the context of never having done otherwise, Mm -hmm. possibly. And so they they have this issue to take up with Jesus. And notice that he doesn't end up answering their question. He doesn't respond like, here's why they don't. But he he identifies just their own heart, even behind the question. And so that's an interesting thing. But there's this idea of cleanliness in the Jewish in, in the Jewish tradition, right? There's there's the sense and that all comes from God. God mm-hmm. is the one who established cleanliness rules and laws and in the Old Testament. Which is important to consider. There, yeah, there mm-hmm. are foods. So I think I think we have to be careful that it's not like it started out being this man-made thing, but that God instituted certain cleanliness laws. Some of those were um, religious, kind of mm-hmm. moral cleanliness laws. Some of them were physical, like don't eat shellfish and don't eat this and that because probably they didn't have refrigeration and mm-hmm. parasites and all kinds of others. So Some there were logical reasons, right? In and numbers, so, right? So is it numbers is largely where. We can find those Leviticus numbers. Leviticus and numbers, yeah. Uh, so, just to kind of be fair, that they're coming at it from a a very cultural kind of rationale, mm-hmm. and that would have been a pretty big deal. And so, Jesus, one of the things that we see repeatedly is he's trying to challenge the existing assumptions of that leadership and and what they've done with what God originally intended as good has now been used not to give life, Mm. but to oppress. Yeah. And so there's something about that that's happening here. Um, And so, uh, yeah, he quotes from the prophet Isaiah. And let's see what else here. You talked about Corbin that comes out. Um, It kind of defines it within the text. And from having studied this passage in the past, uh, there's not much more that needs to be added to this mm-hmm. indication. And uh, I think enough is given here by Mark that helps us understand what the point is of bringing that up, like why Jesus would have even mentioned that. It's a loophole. They've created a loophole. Mm-hmm. They found a way mm-hmm. to get around God's law in order to kind of appease their own laziness mm-hmm. or sin or their own Or traditions, rules. yeah. yeah. I think that's interesting because I, I, I almost hesitate to even bring this up because I can't remember if it's a story within the Old Testament or a story I've read extracurricularly. Okay. <laughs> so 
but you, you maybe you'll remember um, that there was a Sabbath laws, right? We're right. familiar with Sabbath laws, and you couldn't take a Sabbath day journey. You couldn't go further than a Sabbath day journey. Mm-hmm. And what the Jewish people had done in order to travel further, a loophole, is they would stash personal belongings along the way because surely if one of your personal belongings was on a piece of dirt, then you've you've made it to your home. Mm. And, and so they had created a loophole yeah. that to, to go further than a Sabbath day journey, which is what we do. Yeah, we we find ways. Mm-hmm. Loopholes. And that's a great example there. Yeah. <laughs> is it in scripture or did I read it somewhere else? I, I've never read that. Okay. But what I like about it is it it highlights the fact that that's how we work. That's mm-hmm. how our sinful hearts work. Yeah. That, that God makes a, a something good and says, this is just live this way. And we're like, yeah, but, and then we find ways to kind of go beyond that because we don't, these baby steps we don't think will be harmful. Mm-hmm. And we can still have a little bit of fun. We can still do a little bit of what we want. And we just don't realize just how selfish and deadly our own heart's mm-hmm. desire is. Yep. And contrary to God. Uh, okay. Uh, so yeah, he says here in uh, verse 11, he references this term Corbin, and here it has kind of in parentheses, that is a gift from God. So Corbin is yeah. is something that is considered to be a gift from the Lord. Is Corbin, now, was is Corbin, I could read my cross text right here, but I can't see it. Is Corbin um, in the Bible, or was it a tradition that they had instituted themselves? Yeah, I think it was a tradition. Okay. Yeah. I, I don't know that we have a lot more that's said about that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so it w- maybe was um, Jesus is referencing just to kind of an understood. It's kind of like um, calling dibs. Now, yeah. I'm not saying Corbin is like calling dibs, but mm-hmm. the, in the same way that we have these unofficial like, hey, I call dibs and there's like it's, laws of dibs. It goes. <laughs> in my family, my kids. <laughs> Where can you call dibs? Yeah. <laughs> we actually, so we have another word that we use. <laughs> So you can call dibs on something like in advance where, hey, I call dibs on, you know, the biggest piece or whatever, like, or the biggest donut. But then we have something that we utilize in our family for where you're sitting. If you are in a seat, so it's something you've already established a place. <laughs> and if you get up from that place, like if it's like on our couch, my kids have certain seats they like to sit in mm-hmm. on the couch. And... And so they don't want to lose their spot to get up and go get like water or a snack or, or use something. the bathroom. <laughs> right. And it's, they're like, it's crazy. If they leave a seat and they don't say this word, then it's a free for all for that spot. And it's, the word is cobs. Cobs. Cobs, like corn on the cob, but cobs. How did and that And I happen? got that from my childhood. Okay. A friend of mine uh, used to say it and I was like, cobs. And then it just became a thing in our friend group that- when you were leaving a seat that you wanted to come back to, you called Cobbs and no one could take it from you. And so there was, there's this kind of, in the Warren home, there's a, yeah, there's an unspoken rule about Cobbs. the sanctity of Cobbs. Mm-hmm. Like you don't violate the rules. And there's been a few times where like my oldest son, he'll stand up and my youngest will slide in right underneath him and go, you didn't call Cobbs. Mm-hmm. And you can see my oldest son is just like. <sighs> and that tradition binds. He's like, you're right. And I said, he goes, no, but you know, I was, I didn't have time. To, and he's trying to, and then we're all looking at him like, the moment we cross the line on the, mm-hmm. on the sanctity of this thing, it all goes out the window. Right. And he's like, 
it's too important to this standing kind of this keeps order in our home and it's like okay yeah i'll take this one right. for the team the, and, and they're willing to do a whole lot to maintain that tradition <laughs> yeah. so this has nothing to do with it the does. passage tradition and in, in but Pharisees. this idea of yes of human tradition and so i don't know if corbin was that type of thing uh, but it's something that jesus clearly references yeah here and the point is that people have found a loophole and he's pointing that out and and so then as it uh, continues down let's see here uh, there's there's this moment of explanation that happens where this all happens with the pharisees and jesus is having this interaction and kind of tells this short little parable about the way that they've been behaving. And then you kind of have this aside that happens in 17 where his his disciples are like, what was that about? Mm-hmm. And you can see him kind of having to unpack this thing for them on the side. And so again, um, we've talked a little bit on this podcast about the role of parables and that when Jesus tells a parable, he is at the same moment concealing and revealing. Mm. And it has to do with the heart of the person in the audience, right? That there's a, depending on their heart, they're going to, it's going to not make sense and others it's going to make sense. And so there may be some of that frustration with the disciples that we see there. And he's like, are you so foolish? Mm-hmm. Like he's starting to get a little bit frustrated. Like I'm keep doing this stuff. I'm showing you these things because it was kind of an obvious story. Yeah, it's, um, yeah, yeah. All righty. So I think we kind of understand what's going on here. He he draws out from the the prophet Isaiah, and that's kind of the the crux of this thing. I think he you you kind of have this scene where the Pharisees come in. They want to ask him this question that's probably in their minds a pretty clean cut argument Mm -hmm. like he has clearly violated the law and our tradition what say you how can you be a rabbi how could you possibly if your if your students your your disciples are are violating some of the most fundamental kind of cleanliness laws and rituals around food Mm -hmm. and what goes into our like the reason why we clean our hands is because we don't want to be defiled by this food or you know things that are unclean and so he he receives that and then he responds to it not by giving them the explanation to, well, here's why my disciples don't do that. Because, no, he, he does something different. He uses their own He puts text, their own heart right? on them. Yeah, yeah. he, he turns, turns it on them. And so, yeah, as you kind of identify the crux of what he is challenging them with mm-hmm. in Isaiah, what, what do you see there? Uh, real quick, one thing that I love in this passage is there has to have been, so these disciples are as equally Jewish. Mm-hmm. They yeah. would have been, there has to have been some time in this walk with Jesus that they've given up washing their hands. Mm-hmm. So that means there has to have been in this relationship they've had with Jesus, that their eyes on Jesus eclipsed all the tradition. Yeah. And I love that because we don't know when that happened, but because this is the first time he's saying this to him, but they didn't wash their hands. Does that make sense? I don't know where, you know, that just. And it wouldn't have been the first time that they did not maintain the ritual or the tradition in other ways. So like when they're walking through the fields, grabbing the heads of grain Mm. and they're, they're kind of violating the Sabbath laws of 
work and um, the ways that Jesus heals in the temple on the Sabbath or in the synagogue. And, and so there were times where he had kind of crossed that line. And so we don't know how that's kind of manifest mm-hmm. in their journeys together. Yeah. What other conversations he's kind of said, hey, some of these things are not things. And we need to recognize that. So, yeah, I I love good, that. I love to see the yeah. the the um we see a lot about tradition and all the things that the legalism, all mm-hmm. the things that the Pharisees did in order to be right with God in their own minds, mm-hmm. and the extent to which they did things every single day, the depths to which they went, that they inconvenienced themselves in many ways to make themselves what they perceived as right with God. Mm -hmm. And that speaks volumes to me. Yeah. Yeah. He really gets at the heart of, um, of, well, he, he gets to their heart by quoting from Isaiah here. uh, When he says the, this people honors me with their lips but their heart is far from me. They worship me in vain, teaching as doctrine the commandments of men. And so there's there's kind of, to these four lines of text, it's very revealing that mm. he uses this, he uses the prophet Isaiah, that this people, meaning the Jewish people, they honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. So there's the sense in which the lips are the external, mm-hmm. like I can show that I have this honor and make it look. And so there's the appearance and this, it sounds like uh, honor and worship and loyalty to the Lord, but their heart is far from me. So it can look like one thing, mm-hmm. but what really is true is what's in the heart, not what things look like or appear on the outside. It says they worship me in vain. So they, they worship me in a way that's completely empty and essentially worthless. Mm-hmm. There's no value to their worship. It doesn't mean anything. And they teach as doctrine, so they teach as the way to live commandments of men, which he's contrasting that with instead of the commandments of God. Which all the things, ironically, that were the commandments of men, they perceived as the commandments of God. Right. Which you know makes me, I, when I get to these Pharisee passages, mm-hmm. there's a part of me that has a, a sympathy toward them yeah i mean probably because in many ways i can follow a Pharisee. you know i can be a pharisee but right. what do you think chad like their whole life from the age of six for thousands of years this is what they were taught to do mm-hmm. what they were doing was follow the rules perfectly i mean we see in the old testament with the kings if you will follow my laws to the perfectly then you will be blessed you know and so they're just following to, from from their behalf, they're just right. following the laws like they were told to. Yeah. How do we hold that tension? Yeah. I mean, you, you kind of, like you said, you sympathize with them because they're, they're born into this and they no, don't know any different. And they think they're on the right track. And you even look at like the testimony of Paul, right? He's mm-hmm. a Pharisee of Pharisees. He's, he he's kind of doing everything the best that he possibly can. And he's born into this. And it's not until he is he encounters the living God mm-hmm. and his eyes are open to what, what God truly wants. And that's one of the things that Jesus is up to is he's trying to, through parables and other ways, try to reveal their hearts mm-hmm. before them. And that, 
in no way we we don't certainly don't fault God to say, well, why did you set up the laws this way? Why did you make it like right. this if you knew we'd just twist them up anyway? And and the emphasis needs to be on no our fallen nature to twist good things that God provides, mm-hmm. and that the law was was simply to point us, as Paul says, and show us our need for God, and that we could not fulfill mm-hmm. God's we could, God's standard. By like ourselves. washing your hands would have been meant. I want to remind you every time you eat that you're not fit to come into my courts without right. some sort of purification. And then what do we get eventually? Purification. Yeah. I mean, eventually that through Jesus we get yeah. the full purification. But yeah, yeah. And so, um, yeah, really wrestling with this idea of the show or the veneer mm-hmm. of of faithfulness and of worship and wanting to. Um, appear to be a Christ follower mm-hmm. or a believer uh, in this case you know a, a faith, one of God's chosen people a Jew and then realizing that what Jesus is saying is no it's it's in here it's in here and he goes further to show that he says having no regard for the command of God you hold fast to human tradition almost like instead instead of holding fast to what like God's actual commands and what mm-hmm. he's actually said, you hold fast and and value these human traditions. And then he gives some example, examples. You neatly reject the commandment of God in order to set up your tradition. I love that. Yeah, neatly reject. Neatly. It's tidy. Yeah. You've, you've got it down to a pat. Yeah. For Moses said, honor your mother and father or father and mother. And whoever insults his father or mother must be put to death. And then he brings in this kind of this example that's a little bit foreign. He's, and so he's giving them an example of the way that they do this, right? You honor your mother and father. This is the tradition that Moses says. This is the, you know, God's command. And then you say, if anyone tells his father or mother, whatever help you would have received from me is Corbin. So this idea that um, a, a son or a daughter, especially a firstborn, would have some priority to take care of mom and dad. Mm-hmm. And um, to Sorry. say, I would love to serve you and help you, but just just say whatever I would have done for you. Well, that that's that's a gift to the Lord. Like I need to go and and give it to the Lord instead. And so they found this way to rather than doing what God mm-hmm. said I'm is sorry, good. I've, I've consecrated it to the Lord. I can't help you. Yeah, I can't give you my extra cash. It's it's the Lord's. It's the Lord's. Yeah. So I can't physically or financially assist you at this point. And we don't know how long that. This this has been uh, perverted per se. Yeah, <laughs> but could you imagine the generational? Just consider like just the devastating effects generation after generation of generation of tight of holding fast to that particular mm-hmm. tradition. Yeah, I mean it's so. Yeah, he gives this one example. Um, he says, "Thus you nullify the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down, and you do many things like this." So he's just giving one example of many that they have now, they've found these crafty, neat ways that are kind of these loopholes, as you said, of ways that they don't have to honor the Lord or do what God has commanded because they found these traditions that that rationalize that kind of behavior. It's just wild. So one Mm -hmm. of the questions that I have as we wrestle with this and um, what, how do we do that today? Mm-hmm. What are those? Time's up. (laughs) (laughs) Because what's sobering for me in this passage is the reality that 
how how much does my heart desire to appear and look mm-hmm. like a good Christian, righteous, and and so having the appearance of this thing and checking my own heart's desires and motives for mm-hmm. uh, other things, right? So that's a huge. Yeah, that's a huge thing. And so, but we're getting a little bit ahead of ourselves okay. on that. Um, I do want to wrestle with kind of the full, the meaning of this text. What is the true, what what does this mean for his original audience? So the Pharisees, mm-hmm. as they would have received this, his disciples, and then for the audience of Mark, as they're hearing this recounted, mm. what are they hearing and what does this mean for them? So I want to locate the text historically first so pharisees hearing this what's this doing it's making them mad most likely challenging them challenging their authority i mean the tradition in and of itself was meant to bolster their authority Mm -hmm. so now not only are you challenging them as as human as a person you're trying to undercut the everything that they've created underneath them to keep their power that's i mean so it's infuriating yeah, you, you think of these episodes like you think of Nicodemus, mm. right? Where it's it's not just like an occupation for them. It's not like a day job, a nine to five mm-hmm. that they're a Pharisee. It is a full-blown identity, a status. A familial identity. Yeah. For everyone. Honor for their family. It's Honor. Huge. Yeah, it's, it's so just, a, it's a network of meaning around their identity and then maintaining this status and so and they've and and they've entwined it over generations it's been entwined with their personal holiness so i mean they're they're defending multiple layers here i mean there is there's there's a deep powerful defense built up here beyond probably their even personal awareness maybe Yeah. yeah and so what jesus is doing is completely eroding and challenging their legitimacy mm-hmm. and identity to essentially say you are completely corrupt. You are completely corrupt. And you're also perceived as the men of God. The most righteous. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The authorities on righteousness. That's a big deal. It's huge. I wonder if the disciples are like, Hey, you might want to dial it back. Like we're with Absolutely. you. You guys, you realize Jesus, we're right here, and they're, they're going to associate <laughs> us with you because those are some pretty hefty swings mm-hmm. he just takes. Um, how are possibly others? Because we know that it's probably not just he and the Pharisees, but there's going to be others gathered in that realm, probably overhearing this conversation. We know the disciples yeah. were, but other Jewish people. You know, we see it other parts in, in Scripture. Where Jesus says these things, like, for example, of eating of his flesh, he says these things that would be outlandish. We know what he meant now, but to hear it for the first time would be, I mean, they probably thought something like, this guy's nuts. Like, what, what is he saying? Eat the flesh. Or, and I can almost see this in 14 and 15 there, because um, I don't yeah, he, mean to be crass, but... He calls the crowd and... it. The whole there's an there's something in there that um that, that alludes to excrement, <laughs> you know. I mean, yeah. the process of eating and and at first when you read that you think, well, how could the disciples not get that? But then you realize like they would have heard the very uh, 
logical process of eating, digestion. Yeah, he says in 19, mm-hmm. for it does not enter his heart, but his stomach, and then goes he's out into the sewer. <laughs> and he's kind of, he's taken what they probably heard. Yeah. And put it on its head and used it. You yeah. know, because they probably heard, what do you mean outside of a person? Could de- what do you go in them and then comes out of them? Defile, like right there, rather it is what comes out of a person that defiles them. Yeah. I'm sure they were thinking, what are you? Yeah. I mean, it, it's a logical draw right, there. That, right. But just to consider what they would have heard. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think you're right that it's it's definitely turning things on uh, its head. So 14, he says he, he calls the crowd again and said to them, so there is a crowd, so it's not just Pharisees, but there's this crowd of people. And he reiterates, listen to me, everyone, and understand there is nothing outside of a person that can defile him by going into him. Rather, it is what comes out of a person that defiles him. And so they're thinking probably very uh, on surface level, well, food goes in and then we go to the bathroom. Mm-hmm. And he's trying to indicate, no, it's it's quite different. So that's why he unpacks that parable, a short teaching, uh, to the disciples and clarifies, for from within, in verse 21, out of the human heart. So it's not what you do in the bathroom. He's not. I was like, I'm not talking about the mm-hmm. physical. Listen to me. It's out of the heart, the human heart. Evil ideas, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery. Like these are all in your heart. These are the indications of your corruptness and your brokenness. And that alludes back to verse six and seven. Their heart is far from me. Mm-hmm. People honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. They worship in vain. And so, yeah, there's this idea that it's it's not this physical world that's going to corrupt us and make us uh. evil and sinful. And it's not the external that now we touch and we become dirty, broken, Mm -hmm. rotten, sinful people, but he's indicating it's a heart issue. It's not out there, it's in here. And that's a different way to approach things. I mean, a lot of of times we would like to blame something outside of us Mm -hmm. for what's going wrong with us. Absolutely, it's the setup of Western civilization. If we could just fix... Our education, if we could just, I mean, it's our, it's the fabric of our society and it trickles all the way into our souls. Yeah. If we could just fix this thing outside of us, then I'll be better. Yeah. And the reality is it's, no, it's a, we have defiled hearts. I think we all, I mean, if not to be like too esoteric or anything, but if we, we all know deep inside of us, there's just something that's wrong about us. Mm -hmm. We all, and we all find ways to make that right. Yeah, I mean, you just look at the New York Times bestseller list, and I think it's it's probably pretty consistently there's some sort of self-help book that is Always. on there, mm-hmm. and there's always some, and when you scroll through social media, it's like ways to fix this mm-hmm. or ways to, you know, five ways to make better at this, and we all identify that we're not where we want to be. Something's off. Yeah. Something's not right, which you always, you hear that, right? But rarely do we take that phrase, something is not right, and recognize that that's what the whole point of righteousness is. Right. Something's not right. And there's only yeah. one way to make that right. But, and that's a that's a position that is unique to Christianity. There's no other worldview, religion, or philosophy out there that will say that we are, from birth, we're, we're broken and corrupt in the heart. Like our desire. It emanates out of us. It's not that we, the corruption comes yeah. from without. It comes from within. It comes from, and that's yeah. unique. And Jesus is pointing that out right here. Uh, 
Uh, okay, so now let, let, we've wrestled with what it says, what it means. I have to ask you this question. Yeah. So this parenthetical phrase in 19 where it says, this means all foods are clean. <laughs> yeah, just, just a real quick I know, there, huh? uh, and you know, Mark doesn't often, he doesn't have a lot of parenthetical statements outside of this passage right here. Mm-hmm. I'm sure he has few, but none that I can really, but I know... Um, in some other versions, it says something to the effect of like, and so Jesus declared, at that Jesus declared all foods are clean. So if we think about in Matthew, when it says not one letter of the law will, you know, mm-hmm. I'll hold up, there will be not one. And it says these are not ones for, and so Jesus is with that declaring all foods are clean. Mm-hmm. All things are clean. How do we? Yeah, I think what what I understand he's trying to clarify that the foods themselves are not what defile, mm-hmm. right? So it's not the there's nothing out there that's going to make you unclean or defiled. It's it's a hard issue. Was this setting free every Jewish person? Like, oh, okay. Again, that, he doesn't say that in the context of the crowd of the Pharisees. Mm-hmm. That's in the context of the disciples alone. The disciples alone, yeah. That he's kind of walking through this. And we it, does, we're, it doesn't even say that that's what Jesus said, right? It's this parenthetical explanation mm. by Mark. And think about who who is – Mark is, is writing down and collecting the, the, the preaching of Peter, Right, and so Peter has a very particular episode in his life where he is told in a in a vision or a dream that all foods are clean. All foods are clean. I think it's in Mark. Uh, yeah, Peter has a vision in, in not Mark Acts chapter ten, where he is um, given a vision, and he is told by God that whatever God declares clean, how can man say it is unclean? And immediately thereafter, Cornelius, who is not Jewish, comes and wants to receive salvation. Mm. And Peter is now made aware that that means the Gentiles, too, are included in the kingdom. And so it's just an interesting little overlap Mm -hmm. here that this teaching is coming from Peter in his preaching. And so there is that kind of particular connection to Peter that he has that that clarity or that element of teaching specifically right that's good sorry to interrupt I just no saw that. that's good um and so yeah it's not something that's that's quoted here and so it's not necessarily what jesus said but it's an indication by the by mark that this is a declaration of all foods being clean at this point and this would have been after the events themselves because he's recording it in the gospel okay. it's here good. yeah good stuff uh so now we we stand back in in that question that i asked earlier what are the ways in which we experience this meaning today? Why is this significant for us? And that has everything to do with ways in which we carry out a facade of faithfulness. And how are we tempted to do that? I think a real obvious low-hanging fruit here is we go to church. Yeah. And as long as I'm at church, 
at whatever is the minimum acceptance that I believe will put me in the category of clean. Yeah. <laughs> as long as I'm there, regardless of where my heart is when I'm there. Yeah. And that's hard to say. Yeah. Because to some extent, I think there is like a duty to delight type, yeah. you know, thing in there that bring just bring your body to church even when you're not feeling it. I, yeah. I think that to some extent there's something to be said. Surround yourself with a body of Christians so they can hold you fast, you know, so they, mm -hmm. they well, they aren't holding you fast, but that's right. so they can help you. So, but it's what we do. Yeah. I think that's a great point. And there are other, I think, things that then spur off of that, right? Mm -hmm. Um, what other things that that are good for us to do as believers that can easily just in a in a moment can switch to be mm -hmm. uh, you know this thing that I do so that it appears like I'm still doing well. So church attendance, you could even say reading your Bible, yeah, um, prayer, fasting, fasting, all of these disciplines that we that that Christ has told us is they're good. They're mm -hmm. for our good. It is, it doesn't take but a moment for those things to get out of, out of perspective, right? We start doing them for the wrong reasons. For the wrong reasons. They, they, they take these good things that are for, for our good and for his glory. Yeah. And we pop them back. It's that, um, in Coata Sensei, I'm not trying to bust out Latin here because I don't Whoa. speak it. That, that, Gesundheit. Because, thank you. That, that idea, it's one of my very few, very few Latin phrases that I know, but that idea of like Martin Luther said, we're bent in on, we're concave, we're bent in on ourselves, and we're going to take everything that is good by God, that is meant for God, and we're going to turn it mm -hmm. to our own self, and we're going to utilize it for ourselves. And that it, I just, he doesn't go so far to say this, but it always makes me think, I just got to constantly be popping that back yeah. out to the Lord. Pop, I mean, it's just because I'm just curved in on self. Yeah. In gratis, in curved in on self, and Latin scholar. I did not know that. Well, I, I know two phrases. <laughs> I did watch Harry Potter as well, so <laughs> so you know some spells. All right, good. That one thing, and the reason why it stuck with me is because it was so apt for myself. Like yeah. I'm just bent in on self, and I'm going to take all the good things of God, and I'm going to make them things that I do, so I can feel good mm -hmm. about what I did. Ah, man, that's powerful. And I think that's I think that's the challenge of this text uh, for me as well. That man, I'm I'm grateful for that that reference of of bent in on myself. The the tendency to make church attendance uh, or other Bible study attendance, mm -hmm. uh, reading scripture, uh, was even wrestling with that this morning uh, or yesterday morning. I was reading, and after a few minutes, I sat there and I thought. I don't even really know what I just read yeah. for the last five minutes. My mind was elsewhere. Mm -hmm. And just really pausing to go, am I just going through the motion so I can say I read my Bible every morning? And we all do that. And so, man, just to slow down and go, not to live in guilt, not to live in mm -hmm. this shame of now I'm a bad Christian, because that misunderstands the gospel altogether. Mm -hmm. That it is not the case that Jesus saves us to then – um, kind of get us back on our feet so that we can go on saving ourselves. Mm -hmm. No, he saved us thoroughly, and it's always about his sacrifice, his blood, his perfect life lived. It'll never be based on, well, I read my Bible and actually paid attention. Never. But to realize that these things are totally intended for our good. Like they're really they're all, for, like, our, for good. our benefit. And, 
And so as much as we can constantly check our heart's attitude about being a part of a church family and attending corporate worship, being in a Bible study, reading our, our Bible regularly, being in a time of prayer, man, there are times where, man, I just, I check out during like mm-hmm. a group, like when I'm meeting with a group and we're praying and I just go, man, there's some other things I'm going to think about with my head down right yeah. now because I can get this, this downtime. And to really go, man, it's a disservice to myself. Mm-hmm. I've just stepped out of a stream of grace that he provided for me. Yeah. He's not mad at me. Yeah. But there was a gift there that was for me that I chose not to take. Right. And you think, man, if I'm, we, it's easy to call ourselves selfish pigs mm-hmm. and go, man, we're really selfish pigs. But like, we really need to up our game on being <laughs> selfish. Cause if we're really <laughs> selfish pigs, we Dig would it. go for the best things right? for ourselves. And that ultimately is God himself. And yes. that's why like Pastor Feast. John Piper, you know, yep. famously quoted this idea of Christian hedonism, right? This, like, I'm going to be satisfied. I'm going to go for things that satisfy me and are pleasurable. And ultimately, God is, is the it. most satisfying thing on the planet. So I'm going to, you know, I'm just going to go for that. It is so, you know, Chad, I have tasted lots of life. I have tasted lots of sinful life. I've, I've, my wife, my life has been broad. Mm-hmm. And I can firmly say, without question, nothing is as satisfying, nothing is as fulfilling and beautiful as Jesus. Amen. There is nothing there in knowing and enjoying God through His Word is the most satisfying, fulfilling, fun, exciting thing that has ever happened in my life. Yeah. I mean, and and it's true, but we're always... So we're not even good at being selfish pigs. We're not even good at being selfish pigs. Yeah. We're not even good at trying to seek the thing that we want. Yeah, Lewis is the one that in The Weight of Glory, an essay that he wrote, he talks about, it's not that God, when we get to heaven, will find our desires too strong, mm. but he'll He'll identify that our desires are actually too small or not strong enough. And he likens us to... We're like kids that are content with playing in mud puddles mm-hmm. and making mud pies when a day at the beach awaits us. And so we're not even like, we don't have a, a strong enough yeah. appetite for what is good for us, which is him alone. So it's not even, whew. it's, yeah. And, and just to ponder on that, to just think about what I desire that I think, whatever it is. Whatever it is, I think is what I'm seeking to bring me satisfaction is actually going to be the very thing that causes me to be dissatisfied. Hmm. It's hard. Man, that's a mic drop right there. If these weren't attached, I know, right? I could drop them. I'd like to do it. Let's find one. <laughs> uh, Casey, thank you so much this for being here. Good. This I was every a good conversation. Uh, if for those who are tuning in, again, if you have questions either for myself or Casey. Uh, email take and read podcast at gmail.com. Love to get those questions. Uh, if you have particular questions for Casey, I'll definitely get those forwarded on to her. Uh, thank you again to 22 Beans who helps make this podcast possible. Best beans uh, out there. We we love the 22beans.com coffee. You can find a couple of different variations on trucker hats there, the Take and Read podcast, if you want to support those, the podcast that way. Uh, and just, yeah. 
thank you so much for yep. being here. Lots of fun. I loved it. I uh, look forward to having you back. And in the meantime, take and read. Take I encourage everybody, read. take and read God, God's word. All right. Blessings. <laughs>